Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland. Today's date is Monday, May 8th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are at page 36 on the third paragraph. Today's readers are, thank you for your service, Meg F., Elaine B., Deborah K., and Libby E. The reference number for yesterday's special edition is 9913. That is 9913. And this morning's 7 a.m. meeting is 9915. 9915. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that the people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask, for Deborah Kay to read the 12 steps, please. Go ahead, Deborah. Good morning. This is Deborah Kay from Oregon. I am a recovering compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made a direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. And now, thank you, Deborah. I will now ask for Libby E. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Libby. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. I'm Libby E. Hulsevita in New York. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except the matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from a primary purpose. Seven. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 
Nine, OAS such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Libby. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you will hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absolute requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And uh, try not to speak from speakerphone. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and more about alcoholism. We're going to take a journey with Jim. And uh, we're going to start on page 36. And we are going on the third paragraph, and Meg F. is going to get us started. So go ahead, Meg. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, very well. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I am Meg F. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in California. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of the intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if he only mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? You may think this an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always the curious mental phenomena that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitable inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. Wow. I am uh, been thinking about this over the weekend and... Um, the insane word is clear. It comes in over and over and over. I have a little bit of a, un, well, I don't know if it's unusual. It doesn't seem like I hear it a lot. Maybe it's totally not unusual. But I knew at age 16 that I was an addict, that I had weird behavior around food. I had a mother that did research, and she said, this is an addiction, Meg. I, you know, and she was kind about it. She, like, got it. My older sister had had it, who was, like, four years older than me. And she understood that it wasn't. So immediately I knew, I knew about the physical allergy. I knew about that, that there was a problem. If I picked up wheat or sugar or those types of foods, like I was in, in the mud, I was down, face down in the food. So for me, it wasn't, uh, it was kind of black and white. I knew if I ate those foods, I'd be fat. If I didn't eat those foods, I wouldn't be fat. And I didn't, I never until last year, October, began to understand the doctor's opinion and the mental twist. And that's 40 years in, by the way. You know, 40 years in, I have um, gone up and down and had trouble in this program. But I really did never get the mental obsession. So here, just the insanity. So I didn't usually have an insane 
idea that um, I'd get away with it. I remember sitting in Washington State, totally depressed, broke up with a boyfriend, 26, 70 years old. I wanted to move back to California. I was afraid, and I just said, I'll just start eating, and that will get me home. Like I knew that if I if I picked up the candy bar and I drove to 7-Eleven. Now, of course, you could just drive from Washington to California. You know, you don't have to gain 40 pounds to do it. But I just would have these strange mental twists that said, I remember working in a restaurant for a year and a half on gray sheet and then just deciding that, fuck it, I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to eat carrot cake. Like, that's just the way my, it wasn't a quick decision either. I could always see the mental relapse that came before that. But I never had an insane idea like, I can eat this carrot cake and I won't eat it tomorrow. I never thought that. I thought, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to gain 40 pounds. Like, that's how it went for me. So it is plain insanity. To the book, um, how can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? So for me, I find that the insanity wasn't in that I didn't think the food would hurt me. I knew it would take me exactly where it always took me. Um, but I, I, the insanity for me was thinking that the ease and comfort could come and that I could get, I could end the restless, irritable, and discontented, that it would improve. Not that it would improve the situation. I knew I would gain 50 pounds, but I don't know that it would change the situation. Like, I, it never really varied. I, I did it like three or four relapses, and I did the same thing each time. I went to the same weights. I had set points. You know, I just landed the same number. But I just would go there. And um, I'm sure they would have changed if I had done more eating. They would have gotten higher and higher and higher. But just the insanity. So what I hear in these characteristics of a course is characteristic of all of us to be insane. And there is a curious mental phenomenon, which I totally didn't understand. And that the obsession or that that looking for ease and comfort, I was looking for a different kind of pain is what I would usually think about it. But my insane ideas won out and I would be in, I wouldn't be surprising banging on the bar. I'd just be back at the donuts in the morning. I just, I didn't have any thought except for here we go. And I, I was off. So with that charming and wonderful Monday morning start, I'll pass. Thank you, Meg. Okay, who would like to share on these paragraphs? Kathleen O. Kathleen O. Judy P. Judy P. Anybody else chime in? I'm going to put myself in there, too. We'll take one more. Mary Ann C. Mary Anna P. Okay. Mary Anna C. Okay. Anybody else? We'll roll with that. Okay, great. Kathleen O., please go ahead. Good morning, Amy. Thank you for your service. and everyone for being here on the line. This is Kathleen O, Recovered Compulsive Eater in California. And um, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. And insanity is basically a severely disordered state of mind. And when it comes to food, my brain is wired differently. I can have so much self-knowledge, but when it comes to food, it avails me nothing, you know. Um, I had, when I got married, I was in a size 10 wedding dress, and I had this, suddenly I had this crazy thought, this insane thought, knowing what what taking a bite of any kind of flour sugar item would do to me, because it had done to me in the past and, you know, killed me over and over many times, um, always got the better of me. I had this insane thought that, well, it's my wedding. I need to have a bite of wedding cake. And, of course, what did that do? It set off that phenomenon of craving. And four months after I got married in a size size 10 wedding dress, I was a size 18. And so, you know, self-knowledge availed me nothing. And this, this mental phenomenon, this mental twist will always happen if I'm not enlarging on my spiritual life, if I'm letting human emotions build up. Um, I, sorry, 
I'm getting distracted here. Um, anyway, sorry. I I have I have felt like this. This is how crazy this is. If if Mike Tyson at his best gets in a boxing ring with me, and I've never boxed before. The insane, it's, it's comparable to me getting in this box ring, knowing everyone that's, that's the spectator, all the spectators know he's going to beat me to a pulp, but I'm going to go in thinking I'm going to win, knowing nothing about it, going up against someone who is a pro at it. And it's the same thing, it's, it's the same kind of crazy thing. Why would I think that I can take a bite of something or a little bit of something and, and this is very, you know, this is a real uh, sneaky disease and it's progressive and it's always waiting to pounce. And if I rest on my laurels, if I think, oh, I'm in a normal sized body now, um, you know, further effort isn't necessary. I can coast now. I'm suddenly going to get one of those thoughts again. And it may be something really simple like, well, this isn't flour and sugar. Um, it's a trigger food, but I can, I can control it because it's not flour and sugar. And then again, I'm off to the races. So I need to daily enlarge on my spiritual life. When my human emotions build up, I need to be working steps 10 and 11, and then I need to do service and help other people. And that's the only thing that's going to give me any kind of immunity against this craziness. Thank you, Kathleen. I pass. Thank you, Kathleen. Oh, all right, Judy P., please go ahead. Hi, good morning, uh, Judy P. Compulsive Overeater from Central New Jersey, and thank you so much for your service today. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love these paragraphs that we read. Just the insanity of my disease in black and white, and, um, you know, all that knowledge I knew went out the window as soon as I was somehow able to, like, get out of that uncomfortable situation I was in. So, you know, I remember every time I used to fly and I needed the seatbelt extender, I used to say, this is it, this is it, I am not going to eat again until I got off the plane and, you know, went for the nearest muffin I could find. Um, or going to some event and being terrified to sit on the plastic chairs at somebody's house that it wasn't going to hold me, you know, those outdoor chairs. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. It was always... Um, I was always just so convinced that this would be the thing that would help me put down the food. And, of course, <clears throat> none of it was uh, until I come back to OA. And um, this is my third recovery. Um, by miracle of God, it's been about four and a half years now. And <clears throat> as I share, I have a very healthy fear of this disease. Um, it's scary. Because I'll tell you, my first recovery was so strong, there was no way I was ever picking up again, ever. Impossible in my mind. And I did. And uh, for me, it was failing to enlarge my spiritual life. And, you know, I find, you know, the curse of a physical recovery. Um, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, for me, it was hard handling, you know, from 300 to a normal body size. And um, I think my head got to 300 pounds. So just very grateful for the recovery path uh, God placed me on today. He's put amazing people on my path that needed to be there at the right time, um, and he continues to do so. I'm sorry, what's that? Oh. I didn't say anything. Um, You're good. Keep okay. Um, I, remember, I remember a... Um, I was listening to a share, and I remember hearing an AA speaker share uh, that when you, well, phrasing a little differently, but when you go to dance with a gorilla, uh, you're not done until the gorilla's done dancing. And that is how it is with my disease. And um, I don't know. It's just a crazy thing. Just for today, I'm not going back out. And um, But I, like I said, I just have that healthy fear. And I pray to God to always have that healthy fear and respect for my disease because it will kill me. And uh, nothing will kill me like my disease can. And, you know, it's not even the obesity, which is horrendous. It's the behaviors I did when I was active that I swore I would never do that had nothing to do with food. That is what scares me. What I'm capable of in my disease that is not even food-related. And um, anyway, thanks again for your service, and I'll pass. 
Thank you, Judy P. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I, too, love these paragraphs, love these examples and illustrations of the mental obsession. I mean, it's straight up what it is and what they're trying to smash home through illustrations. And I can absolutely relate to these stories and this type of thinking. It talks about it in Step 1 in the AA 12 and 12, that we have warped our minds with such an obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence, a spiritual awakening, if you will, will restore us to sanity. Because in all other areas, I can be thinking and I can be sane and I can be rational in all other areas. And that's why this disease to me is so cunning and baffling. Because I can be a degreed person, I could be a doctor, I could be a lawyer, I could be whatever. But when it comes to this disease, it doesn't matter how smart I am because it's my thinking that's my liability. Someone was just mentioning earlier, I think it was Judy, that this disease will kill me. Well, absolutely, but it's my thinking. It's my warped thinking that will kill me if I don't have a spiritual awakening through the process of working these 12 steps because I am that kind of compulsive overeater, just like Jim, who thinks that some insane idea, you know, is going to win out that, oh, this time it won't get me or whiskey in the milk or whatever it is for me that's going to be some insane idea that wins out. You know, when they put things in italics, I'm sure you all have heard it, it, it means, you know, they're wanting you all to pay, they want us to pay attention. And it says he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. And it goes on if we scoot ahead, if I can borrow someone else's saying here on page 39, it says here, but the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely, in italics, unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And that was absolutely the case for me. I'm not just, I don't just have a problem with food. I am a compulsive overeater with the mental twist and the phenomenon that makes me think insanely when it comes to food. I knew my alcoholic foods were killing me. I knew that for almost five years in Overeaters Anonymous, but I was trying to do it based on self-knowledge. Once I heard about the steps, once I admitted I was a close overeater, I thought, okay, I got this. And that was my biggest downfall is thinking that I, based on my knowledge, could fix myself of my disease. And I can't. You know, a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. And I had to really understand that thinking. And these illustrations are great. I mean, Jim is great. The next one is the jaywalker. I mean, it's insane, and yet I relate absolutely because that was my thinking. And if that is my thinking, then I am a true compulsive overeater, which I am, which means I better find, you know, a spiritual awakening. And that, for me, by the grace of God, it's been this program and these 12 steps. Nothing else has worked. I had to work this program like my life depended on it because of myself, I could not win. The gorilla would keep dancing with me. I love that. And with that, I'll pass. Okay. Marietta P., you are up. Hi. Excuse me. Marietta P., recovered in Virginia. And, yeah, that mental twist, you know, um, that insane idea. You know, left to my own devices that I can come up, and I have come up in the past with so many ideas that I thought were valid reasons. And, um and, and you know, and and succumb to the notion that somehow this time it was going to be different, and it never was different. And it wasn't until I I came upon the program as it's laid out in the vision for you, and you know, following through the big book, and having a recovered person take me through so that I could understand what I did not understand with that mental twist that I called my 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 thinking. And today I'm just grateful to be in recovery, to uh to know what my alcoholic foods are and and also to know that my only insurance I have is that me working with another compulsive overeater and for me to reach out to the newcomers. And uh you know that is so a, untypical of me because in my disease, I've always waited for someone to approach me instead of the other way around. And, you know, ease and comfort, that's the lie. The, the lie that I, you know, told myself that it was, you know, it was a, a choice, free choice. And I know today that if I pick up those alcoholic foods, there is no free choice. It, it takes over and becomes my master. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Marietta. Okay, we'll take some more shares here. Who would like to chime in on what was read? John K. John Stacey K. K. Uh, Rocky I. And Ra- Raquel, I think I heard. No, Rocky I. Oh, Rocky, I'm sorry. Rocky I. And was it Stacy before that? I was just heard the uh, tail end of your... Yes, ma'am. Stacy K. Okay. Great. Elaine B. Elaine B. Sherry KB. Jody. Sherry KB. Jody. Last initial. EQ. Okay, we'll go with that. John K., Stacy K., Rocky I., Elaine B., Sherry KB, and Jody EQ. All right, John, go ahead. You're up. Okay. Good morning, folks. Thanks, uh, Monday people. Um, this is John Kiernan, compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I read this and I think, you know, this is a spiritual disease and, and we definitely need a higher power to arrest it. Um, but, you know, my brain really does uh, sort of appreciate and underst- the understanding of this. And this chapter drives home over and over the fact that this is a disease, you know. This was revolutionary when this came out, you know. And especially where it says here, you know, that this curious mental phenomenon that ran parallel with our sound reasoning, you know, to me that is just a perfect uh, description of what it is. And, and, you know, what makes, in a lot of ways, it makes this this disease so hard uh, conceptualized, not only for us, but for for professionals, you know, you know, people out there in in the medical world. you know, because, you know, this is a cognitive disease as opposed to a physical one that you can x-ray and see, you know. And I love, I, I always use the definition of insanity that, that I've read once where it says insanity is a state of mind that prevents normal perception. You know, if I could perceive of my disease, I could probably do something about it, but I can't because it's part of, of my brain. And you know, we certainly have no trouble when we deal with physical diseases of everybody conceptualized. You know, like you think about cancer, it's a physical disease. You, you know, the, the, the cells are growing in the person. But the thing is, those cells are being grown by those people. You know, but nobody says, oh, you know, why do you do that? You know, but they're growing side by side, just like a heart thing, side by side. And, and, it, and so... Like I said, because it's cognitive, it's a little harder to grab sometimes and understand. My wife is a is a psychologist, and she deals with paranoid schizophrenia. And uh, those are the people who literally hear voices. They're they're absolutely as real to them as if I were standing behind you and saying something. And she has to convince those people that they need to ignore those voices. And I joke that I said, you know, I have just a slightly milder version of that. Those, that voice is there, that voice of that disease. And I need to do the same thing because it's cunning, baffling, powerful, you know. And the, the, the thing that makes it so hard for me is that voice sounds just like every other thought in my head, you know. If, if the voice of our disease sounded like Darth Vader, you know, go eat, then we'd be like, oh, wow, that's our disease. You better watch it. <laughs> but the fact that it sounds like everything else means that I can't listen to what it says. I mean, I mean, I can't listen to how it sounds. I need to listen to what it's saying, you know, because I don't want to eat. That's why I go to these meetings and do all this service. Yet at that moment of impulse, my disease is trying to convince me of that. And at the end of the day, again, it helps me to understand this. But again, going back to what everybody knows, knowledge of our disease alone will not cure us. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, we have to put the food down and we have to enlarge our spiritual condition. All of this IQ points I have, all of this understanding is of no use because my disease will just take all of that stuff and figure a way to convince me that I should go eat. And today, I just need to keep the food down, keep moving forward, and watch my spiritual condition. You know, I always say I don't want to eat today, but I also don't want to want to eat today. So with that, I pass. Thank you, John. Stacy K., it is your turn. Good morning. This is Stacy Kay in Colorado. <laughs> Excuse me. Our our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. Ha ha. I'm like, what sound reasoning 
reasoning did I ever have when it came to food and eating. Um, you know, maybe I did have much knowledge. I've been around these rooms a long time, and I had this knowledge, but I, I truly, I, I wasn't done. I was still trying to control my eating. I was still trying to control my weight, control food with all different ways. I was still trying things up until, you know, seven months ago or whatever it was, you know, like I just kept, you know, even when the cravings would stop because I was on maybe something that was similar, you know, that was similar to what I thought my abstinence should be. And I, you know, I might be free of the cravings, but I still was waiting for that time when I got to the right weight and I could eat again. You know, I still had that in the back of my mind that one day, you know, I'll be able to do that. I wouldn't tell myself that, but um, absolutely that disease was just waiting, waiting for me. And, and that's what all I wanted to do. I wanted to wait till the next time that I could eat, whether it was when I lost enough weight or, or when nobody else was around or whatever. Um, or, and I'd always try to do it. I mean, I don't want to have the consequences, right? So, um, you know, just negotiating and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think today I have, I, I have, um, with being recovered, I have, um, some sane reasoning when it comes to, it's like, I know it's, it's that conceding to my innermost self, you know, smashing those ideas that I could ever, ever, ever eat those certain foods that are, are to me, you know, my heroin, you know, I can't do those behaviors, you know, for me, it's like, I got to do this thing, like my life depends on it, because it does, because the most understated statement in the book, for me, it's easy to rest on our laurels, you know, we're headed for trouble if we do, I mean, that is such an understatement for me, I got to do this deal, you know, I got to do this deal, like my life depends on it, and I'm so, so grateful for this big book, and I'm so grateful for all you being here today, thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Stacey. Rocky I, please go ahead. Can I be heard? I can hear you great. Thank you. Oh, good morning. This is Rocky, recovered in Tempe, Arizona. And the great, I love the shares. Everybody's um, right on it. And so, um, the thinking, thinking, the crazy mind. I never thought I was insane <laughs> until I came to program, and um, uh, it was like diet, no diet, pills, no pills. Uh, but I thought I was sane, you know, and and it was hard to accept the crazy thinking. Uh, but now I am able to recognize it, not that I'm sane, but at least I'm able to recognize it. And um, and this is thanks to program, you know. Uh, uh, not too long ago, um, I had to uh, get rid of mayonnaise. You would think, mayonnaise? What is Well, I was putting it on everything. Until my daughter said, ew, mom, you're putting mayonnaise on green beans? And um, that was like, oh, okay. And um, I, I guess it doesn't go with it. And, um, you know, not until it was brought up to my attention, but had that happened before program, I would have, you know, bite her head off because I would not have accepted it. Um, but now, uh, with program, you know, making me more open mind to listen to others and, and I was like, oh, I guess that's a crazy idea to, you know, be using mayonnaise on every single thing. And so, anyway, so just, uh, uh, I love Jim and all this chapter is one of my favorites, um, because we don't know until we know. And so... Thank you to the newcomer. Uh, you're you're in the right place. Uh, it's okay to be crazy. We are all our, and uh, we'll just love you to wholeness. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rocky I. Elaine B. Your turn. 
appreciate it. Uh, this is Elaine B. Recovered in Massachusetts. And um, let's see, just setting my time here. Yeah, just love this. Uh, <laughs> just love this passage. Um, they call it plain insanity. Boy, you know, I came into the rooms. I was given a food plan that eliminated all of my compulsive uh, foods. And little did I know that uh, there was this thing hidden in there about the doctor's opinion where we have an opportunity to explore identifying what the foods are that uh, cause a phenomenon of craving in us and um, and also give us a warning about the greater aspect of our disease that even when we eliminate those foods, there is no phenomenon of craving. There's this lurking mo- notion that somehow, someday, I can control and enjoy my food. So um, it was stunning to me, you know, after maintaining a weight for a good amount of time, my sponsor giving me permission to add foods to my food plan, that the things that I chose were the disease sneaking in the door and saying, you don't know this and I'm going to get you. When I started commuting the same food over and over again, my sponsor said, um, boy, you know, I'm not so sure about that. So I just started going generic. Oh, they're vegetables. And um, not ever realizing or understanding that this disease had a hold of me and it was dragging me out the door. I always, I'm in an environment where people are working the steps and um, and however the process that they take is, is kind of really detailed and slow and not the same that I finally learned when somebody gave me permission to try it another way, which I did after six years trying it, trying it their way. I just said, you know, there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be something easier than this, easier, softer way. Ever heard of that? And um, I went out of the rooms knowing that God wanted the freedom that I had, but I didn't know that I was blocked from a God that could give me the freedom that I wanted and that uh, that higher power wanted to convince me. And so he allowed the food to beat me up to a place where my husband was saying, you have taken off on another lover. And you know what? I didn't care. I was that phased. I was that blocked. I was that addicted. I had to have access to ease and comfort and those things. But it was the best bait and switch I ever had because I learned the doctor's opinion and I learned that I could get my ease and comfort from God. And I learned that I have no hope against this daily reprieve without the help of a higher power. But if I build that relationship, the higher power is going to help me with my food, remove the compulsion one day at a time. But not only that, that same higher power is going to help me with every problem I face today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Elaine. Sherry KB, it's your turn. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, Grateful Recovery Compulsive Reader. Thanks for your service, Amy. Um, gosh, everybody's talked about so much today. Um, what jumps out at me is the curious mental phenomena that parallel with, with our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some insanely, insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The the insane idea won out. Um, That is a definition of insanity in my life. Um, You know, doing something over and over again, expecting different results. And um, I always hear on the line, you know, if I keep doing the same thing, I'm going to keep getting the same thing. And, you know, what came up for me, too, today is, um, you know, we... we, um, you know, I ask for protection and care every day from my higher power, from this disease. And by doing that, I work in the steps. I I um, keep living in 10, 11, and 12. Um, if I don't, if I if I rest on my laurels, I will be back in the food. Um, and the insanity is 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 even if I start lacking on my spiritual condition, which means living in 10, 11, and 12, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, I'm back in the food. It, it can it can happen in just a second, and that's the insanity in my life. And that that thought that thought that it will be different this time. That's what my mental twist will tell me. It will be different this time. And I always think about what somebody told me is, you know, when you get abstinent, the monkey's off your back, but the circus is still in town, unless you're working the steps. 
And so I know that for me, I need to do that. And without my higher power's help, I couldn't do it. I was actually at a function yesterday, a 12-step function, and there were all these things, all these items that I couldn't eat at all. And everybody kept saying, go over there, go look at them. They're, they're just wonderful and everything. And, you know, I started to step over there and look at it, and all of a sudden yeah. I stopped. And I realized that, you know, I didn't need to go over there. And I felt like I had, I was safe and protected from that thought. And, um, and little by little, what I realized and what I was told is that if I rest on my laurels, if I, if I don't meditate one day, if I, if I don't do 10, 11, and 12, if I'm not doing this every day, something will give way and that mental twist will get in there and start running the show. And, um, I don't want to do that, and I'm very aware of that, and I want to stay aware of it. And by working in this book, by being of service to others, by doing Step 10 and 11, um, I have a great chance of not getting back in my disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine B. Sherry KB. I'm sorry, Jody EQ. I beg your pardon. Good point here. Jody mm-hmm. EQ. Good morning. Thank you, Amy. My name is Jody EQ, and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater today, just for today. And this passage reminds me that I must stay in fit spiritual condition lest I succumb to my insanity as a compulsive overeater. It just, it'll creep up on me if I don't do what it takes each day to enlarge my spiritual life. And what does that take? It takes prayer and meditation daily. It takes working with others daily, service of some kind. If I'm not sponsoring, I can do some form of service. It takes daily reflection, daily 10th step, 11th step, turning my will in my life over to the care of God each day, each morning. Because doing it yesterday is not going to work today. Each day I have to say that third step prayer. I turn my will and my life over to you, God. What would you have me be? What would you have me do this day? Thy will, not mine, be done. A willingness to help others. My phone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Am I willing to pick it up? My business might be affected. My family might be affected somewhat. Am I aware that I have to be willing to find the time for this program? When I realize how insane I am and how the idea, the trivial excuse will come if I don't, invest the time I need to invest into my recovery, I will pick up again. I am a real compulsive overeater. So finding that balance, as we talked about yesterday during the special edition meeting, between family and work and program is not easy, but it's necessary. It's necessary. Because if I'm not recovered, If I'm not abstinent, I can be of no service whatsoever to my family, my work, etc. So just grateful to hear you all this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your service. Thank you for reminding me that I, too, am a real compulsive overeater, and I need to stay in fit spiritual condition lest I pick up again. Thank you. Thank you, Jody EQ. We have time for uh, two shares. So uh, who would like to chime in, please? Don't be shy. Kim B. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Kim B. Oh, Kim G. Sorry, I couldn't hear the first part here. Kim G. And I have one more person. 
All right, Kim, Stephanie go N. ahead. Oh, Stephanie N. Okay, so Kim G and Stephanie N. Perfect. Go ahead, Kim. It's um, B as in Bartlett. Sorry. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, thank you so much. I um, again, I was listening to uh, Joe and Charlie's uh, version of more about alcoholism last night, and you know, I just love Joe and Charlie and the Big Book. Um, even though when I came into program in 2009, I wanted nothing to do with the alcoholic book, the AA book, um, but my sponsor kept insisting, and um, and I finally started reading two pages every day. Um, but really diving into this, I've really appreciated these meetings. Um, and Joe and Charlie, you know, they put this, the more about alcoholism is, is you know, giving us more examples of the insane thinking that this disease uh, brings to us. And, you know, it's so sneaky, cunning, and baffling. Um, you know, with Jim, he just, he didn't even... You know, they went through Jim's story really, you know, piece by piece and, and, and defined what the difference is between sane thinking and insane thinking, you know. And Jim went about his day. They liked that he started on Tuesday. They wondered what happened on Monday but um, to Jim. But, you know, the story starts out with he, start, you know, went in on a Tuesday to work. Um, you know, same thinking. He went and talked to his boss, same thinking. He went out to the country for a prospect for a client and, um, you know, same thinking. Um, but then, you know, going in and getting a sandwich, same thinking. And they, they even mentioned in Joe and Charlie, you know, then he had, you know, a sandwich and another glass of milk and he goes, that's same thinking, unless you're part of Overeaters Anonymous, then you might want to look at that. <laughs> but um, so I got to chuckle out of that. But, you know, that, that's how quick this is, you know. And then he's like, I'll have another, you know, sandwich with a glass of milk and maybe a little whiskey. And, boy, does that thinking just sneak in there so quickly for me as well with the food, you know, just thinking, oh, just a little bit more. You know, oh, we we might need a little more protein. You know, I've been at a healthy body weight um, since really since 2009. I was one of those struck abstinent and um, just so grateful. But, you know, it's definitely a daily maintenance thing. I am scared to death of going back into that food and into that insanity thinking. Um, I really, really don't want to. And I love that the AA book talks about motives. What is the motive? behind the behavior, behind the thought process, behind what's going on. And I'm so grateful I have um, OA friends and, and family in this program that I can go to to help me figure that out because, yeah, my brain is insane thinking. I cannot fix that insane thinking with, with my own thinking. So I got to reach out and, and, and talk to somebody with, that has skin on, you know, um, my higher power with skin on. And they help me, uh, rash, you know, help me get through that um, insane thinking. Because in my head, I'm thinking it's okay. I'm thinking a little more of this, a little more of that, a little pinch of this, a little dash of that, it'll be okay. And it's not. Um, weighed and measure food, uh, three meals a day. Um, and I pray, pray, pray daily um, that God will keep relieving me of that obsession to the best of my ability um, it also gives me some comfort to know Dr. Bob still had insane thinking up until the day he he passed away. Even though he was sober, he still had thoughts of it. And um, we don't have to act on those thoughts in that insanity, but we can um, respond to it in a sane way by using the tools, the program, and the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Stephanie B., we got about two minutes. You're Hi, up. this is Stephanie in uh, Recovered in Kansas. This was actually making me think of, um, in our Brown book, in our um, OA 3rd edition, um, the Appendix C um, talks about the ego reduction. And I feel like that has so much to do with the mental twist for me anyways. The, um, my ego wants to get in there and tell me, well, this will be okay. That, you know, oh, this isn't going to hurt you. And, and all of those insane thoughts. And the Appendix explained it so well. I'm just going to read out of here. I think um, this is approved literature um, says the ego reduction can be very profitable 
to the personality makeup of this person. It is important to differentiate between submission and surrender. In submission, an individual accepts reality consciously but not unconsciously. Sorry, my baby's being mad. Uh, there is acceptance that one cannot at the moment conquer reality, but lurking in the unconscious is the feeling that there will come a day when I will be able sorry, I will be able to handle my problem on my own. Submission implies no real acceptance. Sorry. Oh, baby, baby. This is why I wasn't going to chime in today, but um, okay. Submission implies no real acceptance of one's inadequacy. On the contrary, it demonstrates conclusively that the struggle is still going on. Submission is, a best at, is at best a superficial yielding with the inner tension. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Sorry. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, if you have a chance to read that um, in the back of the Brown Book, it's so good. It explains that that yielding um, and how, how, um, how until we fully surrender consciously and unconsciously that that mental twist is still there. So anyway, sorry about the baby. I passed. <laughs> Have a great That's day. fine. Understood. No problem. Thank you, Stephanie B. And on that note, we're going to thank everyone who has shared. We will now re- close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Elaine B., if you would take us out with a vision for you, that would be great. Elaine, star one, please, to unmute. Sorry about that. Thanks for your service. Um, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we, are only, we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.